Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. In season two of The Sneak, a podcast from For the Win and USA Today, we will tell the story of surfing champion Jack Roland Murphy, who in 1964 pulled a heist that made him the most famous jewel thief in the country. But that was just the beginning of his story, one that quickly spun out of control and then turned deadly. The Sneak, Murders at Whiskey Creek, is available now on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Or experience the entire series right now, ad-free, exclusively on Wondery+. Plus. Download the Wondery app and hear all of Season 2 today. The Counter, an NFL podcast from USA Today Sports. Featuring For the Winds, Stephen Ruiz and Chris Corman. The Counter, diving deeper into the NFL with advanced stats, film study, and expert guests. This is The Counter. Now, Stephen Ruiz and Chris Corman. Hello, everybody. Week 12, sort of, kind of, mostly in the books. Uh, still waiting for... Seahawks Eagles tonight and then maybe maybe Steelers Ravens Tuesday not really sure apparently the Ravens practice was canceled by the NFL this morning the Ravens who have like 30 people around there in the organization who have either tested positive for COVID or had a close contact are on some sort of COVID list uh they were going to get together today and, and do a little walkthrough, I guess. But the NFL said no. So now they are scheduled to go to Pittsburgh tomorrow or at some point it's going to snow in Pittsburgh. Uh, so this game was supposed to be played Thursday night. It's been a total mess. This is where we are. Fun times. Steven Ruiz. What's up, man? Uh, I'm, I'm disappointed. Like the week 12 wasn't good at all, mostly because of, you know, COVID and just the havoc it wreaked on the NFL. But I'm mostly disappointed by the Broncos game and not because it was bad football, because it was the first time Denver played on Fox. So I was expecting, hey, a new batch of Fox cartoons, a new team. Then we don't have a Drew Locke doesn't play. So and they don't have a Kendall Hinton cartoon ready. So no, no cartoon there. And then the, the Broncos don't score any touchdowns. So we don't even get to see any of the like the receivers or running backs just a missed opportunity. And I don't even know if Denver plays on Fox again this year. So, yeah. What I like about you is that you always uh, zero in on like what's most important. You don't, you don't lose focus of that, what matters most. And uh, that's the, the Fox cartoons. Uh, I mean, in that game, it is the most important. That was not a real football game. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, we're going to get to all that. By the we're way, gonna... there must have been an internet outage in New Orleans because all those Saints fans that were in my mentions last week about Taysom Hill were, were quiet on Sunday. I don't know why. Um, I mean, they, they were probably bored by the game, but <laughs> but also perhaps realized that you had a point, maybe. Uh, it happens, though. That happens. Uh, we're going to get to all... Uh, well, we're not going to talk about every game. We're going to talk about a bunch of games that mattered uh, in Week 12 and, and showed us a little something about 
how the league is going to unfold. We're going to look at the playoff picture, uh, try to figure out sort of where all of that stands at this point as we turn the corner toward December. Uh, Also going to talk about there's a couple changes going on around the league. The Jaguars fired general manager Dave Caldwell. The Lions cleaned house uh, both GM Bob Quinn and coach Matt Patricia are gone. All, all, all of Patricia's former players danced on his grave, uh, which probably <laughs> tells you why he was not quite so successful there. Uh, so we'll talk about a little sort of forward to the off season two and look at who the, who the proper replacements are and, and what the pairings are that we'd like to see around the league. Um, you know, we've we've talked that through a little bit, but Steven's ideas are always evolving. His his viewpoints always changing as as he gets more information. Uh, but first, l- let's talk about the COVID situation. I mean, we are not going to drop this. Uh, I, I know it's, it's probably annoying to some people because uh, a lot of people, a lot of us have just learned to live with it. Right? We're we're sort of made our peace with the fact that we're living through the pandemic, and to varying degrees, we're ignoring it completely or uh, some of us are still locked down. Uh, but it is, as Stephen said, it wreaked havoc on the NFL. The, the Broncos had zero quarterbacks eligible. So they used an undrafted wide receiver who had played quarterback at Wake Forest. Uh, the Colts had some, had some issues. <laughs> I mean, they could not stop Derrick Henry. They had some guys out on the COVID list. Uh, a bunch of players missed time. And then this Ravens situation is, you know, the Ravens, Lamar Jackson's going to miss the game. Mark Andrews is going to miss the game. Uh, uh, Willie Sneed, I think, is going to miss the game. The, the reports are hazy. That's the other thing is that we can't, you can't even really get proper information because of, of what's allowed to come out. And how things are couched. Uh, but the Ravens are probably going to get steamrolled in Pittsburgh. And I don't know. I guess this is just the new normal. Huh? This is like we're just supposed to sort of live with the fact that players are at once continuing to work. Right? <laughs> like the NFL made this rule that today and tomorrow uh, teams are supposed to take off because they're just assuming that players who weren't playing on Thanksgiving got together. And so now they need like a little break. Well, that doesn't make any sense for the math of, of this, of the coronavirus, right? Like that doesn't really do anything to change how much it was going to spread around. It's like a nice, a nice thing to say you're doing, but uh, the players are still being asked to work. They're still going into a, facility with other people around. I mean, we're still sort of putting them out there. Uh, and then also it's just affecting the gameplay. I mean, the, the, the football is, is, is being hurt by what's gone on at this point. Right. I mean, it has been all season, but we are really reaching a crescendo uh, there. This, this is the peak of the, <laughs> the pandemic, uh, the absolute peak right now. We, I mean, I guess I don't know that, but it's, 4.2 million cases in November, which is double what it was in October, which was the highest month previous. Uh, so I, I don't know. I mean, I guess this is just what it is now, Stephen. This is like we're sort of supposed to deal with this being the way it ends and sort of like figure out each week, like, oh, which teams don't have their important players and which team's going to throw some nobody out there to play quarterback and I mean, that looked like a Pop Warner football game, right? The, the Saints-Broncos game. And I feel like we've been saying this all along during the season. Like, we have these these games that are totally affected by COVID. 
and we kind of treat them like one-offs. Like I'm, I'm trying to think back to another game, like the Chiefs, Chiefs Patriots game that I think it happened on a Tuesday, and we were <laughs> at the time we were like, this is going to happen again. This isn't like a one-off event, and I think. The same might be true for this Broncos Saints game. I don't know right. if it's going to be the last time a team has to play without a quarterback. Maybe it's not a quarterback. Maybe it's a different position group. But I think the effect would still be as big. Like if you lose a whole offensive line, it might be worse because you can't you yeah, can't just put in point. like a bunch of tight ends at offensive line. You right. would get someone hurt. Right. So yeah. And and I mean that, honestly, that's like that's the other point of it. Like that also could have happened with. Kendall Hinton, right? Like this, like uh, it's football's like a dangerous game to begin with. And if you aren't practicing it much, you're not doing work walkthroughs. You're not getting together with trainers. You're not able to gather. And then you're throwing some dude on the practice squad. Like that's how bad things happen. And uh, we're just sort of continuing to accumulate that. And honestly, like what if, what if RG three uh, test positive, right? The Ravens won't have a quarterback. I don't know if they have one on the practice squad. I mean, they have Trace McSorley on the roster, but he's already on the COVID list, I think. Lamar Jackson is. I mean, if RG3, something happens, like, what is their next option? I think you're next on the depth chart, actually. Yeah, well, I'm not going to Pittsburgh, man. I, I, I can't play at Heinz Field. It's, it's too tough up there. <laughs> That's the one thing holding you back. From yeah, cor- correct, correct. If I learned anything from watching an actual uh, elite athlete try to play QB yesterday and fail, it's that I could do the same thing. I, I'm I'm ready. Uh <laughs> Yeah, so I don't know. We're just going to, you know, the NFL has some contingency plans out there that if they have to start canceling games, I mean, I'm sure you guys might have seen the Adam Schefter tweet, the the sort of condescending reminder, it's week 12 and the NFL is yet to cancel a game. Like, I'm not not sure that means what you think it means, Adam. Like, that sort of means that they're ramming through the schedule, not that they're... right. That's a bad thing. That is not a right. good thing. They should yeah. have canceled games. Right. They're not they're not carefully adjusting and mindfully figuring out how to make the season work with the best interests of the players in mind. They're just sort of going, <laughs> you know. Uh, they're just sort of playing the games no matter what comes. Uh, but there are contingencies where they would add uh, an eighth playoff team uh, to each conference if they can't play enough games and it becomes unfair. And I mean, it certainly feels like we're staring at that situation at this point, just the way the numbers are rising. Uh, and again, like Stephen said, like we've been talking about this all season because it's not going away. It doesn't it's it has not gone away. It has it has spread, you know, it, 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 the, the, the flame is, is engulfing more of the country than it ever has. And that includes NFL players who are out there. Uh, you know, the league wants them to be careful. The league puts so much of the onus on the players and we, we were quick to give them kudos because they really did do a good job early on of, of, of not getting exposed and of, of doing all the right things. But I think Steve, as you, you know, you predicted the dam was going to break at some point. That's just, that's too hard of a level to keep up with so many players and so many outside influences and so many different things they're, they're doing in their lives. So, uh, you know, I guess we'll continue to monitor this, bring you whatever news we can as it comes. But, uh, yeah, the league, nothing about here on out, you know, we're going to talk about the playoff picture <laughs> and we've done that every year for the last how many years. And like, it's pretty normal, like, Oh, well, okay. This team has this schedule and they have these injuries and this guy should come back. But like everything we're about to say about the playoffs, 
it could just be like blown into the wind if if there we are. We don't a bunch even of, know how many teams are going to be in the playoffs at this point. So. Right, right. I mean, it's it's just all it could be. I don't know. And like the the Patriots, you mentioned the Patriots. Like, I don't know. I mean, I still think probably we'll we'll take a deeper look at it at some point. But like, there's a good chance that the Patriots didn't have the Cam COVID scare that. There, I mean, they still have a chance to make the playoffs, uh, but I kind of feel like if that hadn't happened, there, you know, we're talking about them as being a playoff team right now, um, despite all the other stuff going on. I mean, they were just on that precipice uh, where something like that could knock them off. So uh, we'll just continue to, to to monitor it and talk about it and deal with it as it comes and. Hope that, uh, you know, again, like I wrote a column yesterday saying basically the NFL has just gotten really lucky, right? Like, you know, all this, the fact that, you know, we're talking about these tests and like, oh, these guys have it. And then there's no real follow through, right? There's been one, there's a running back, uh, Raquel Armstead from the Jacksonville Jaguars, who's missed, you know, most of the season and, and appears to have lingering things going on. But for the most part, the teams have gotten lucky. No one's really gotten a bad case. Uh, so let's just hope that that continues to be the scenario. Uh, and there, there's no way to know that, right? 270,000 Americans have died. It's probably it's probably even more than that. And many millions are dealing with long-term things. Uh, so it's just pure luck that the NFL has not had a worse story come out, an anecdote that would really cause people to stop and pause and think about this. So... We'll uh, continue on and cover the games as best we can. Um, let's talk about the the playoff race right now, the playoff picture. Uh, as let's go NFC first. It's a little bit a little bit more interesting over on the NFC side. I think uh, I don't know. Um, but you got the Saints sitting at nine and two, coming off that win, as you said. Easy win against the Denver Broncos. Green Bay Packers are currently in second place. Seahawks sit in third. They play the Eagles tonight. Sure should win that game. Uh, the New York Giants currently lead the NFC East uh, because they have won three uh, in a row and they sw- they've swept uh, the, the series from the football team of Washington, D.C. Uh, but the Eagles, can, <laughs> if the Eagles somehow pull an upset tonight, they would move into first place at four, six and one. Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, the Los Angeles Rams still sit in the wild card number one spot despite a loss to the 49ers. Uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have dropped all the way to wild card number two uh, and at seven and five. And then the Cardinals, man, that AFC West is tough. Uh, the Cardinals are sitting in the number seven spot with the Vikings being the first team out of the field. Any thoughts on how this is actually going to shape up, Stephen? Any any teams you think you had originally predicted that the Vikings would jump up into this race? Wondering if you're still seeing it that way at this point. I think I am. The Cardinals dropped another game that they probably should have won, and their schedule doesn't get any easier over the next couple of weeks. And Minnesota's schedule isn't that hard, and they're only a game back. So I would not be surprised if those teams swap. And Hopefully, if that if the Cardinals do fail to make the playoffs, it will force Cliff Kingsbury to re-examine <laughs> how he handles late game situations and how conservative he is. You, you've got a brilliant quarterback, and he keeps making these decisions. But 
We'll talk about that later. But I feel like the rest of the playoff bracket is pretty much locked in. And I say that with the asterisks of you never know when a, a COVID outbreak is just going to derail a team. Like the Bucks are one outbreak away from maybe missing the playoffs this year. Right. Because they're teetering on the edge right now, too. Although they just have to outlast the Vikings and the Bears. So I don't know if it, it's really that dire for them. Right. But I think we're it's the hierarchy is pretty much, you know, sorted itself out. Obviously, the NFC West winner will get that third seed, and that's still up for grabs. But I think the Saints are pretty much locked into the number one seed. Even without Breeze, they've just been toying with teams, and they don't even have a real quarterback right now. And the pack, it seems like the gap between them and the Packers is just too wide. So I, I don't see much changing. Uh, over on uh, over with the AFC, uh, the Steelers, as we mentioned, play on Tuesday. Well, could play on Tuesday night against the Ravens, uh, but they remain in the number one spot at ten and zero. The Kansas City Chiefs are in the second spot, ten and one. I mean, that's pretty straightforward there, right? It's just a question of whether anyone's going to beat the Steelers uh, at some point, and allow the Chiefs to to rise into that number one spot. Um, the Steelers have the Ravens, and they play the football team. Uh, the Bills, that'll be a big game. And then Bengals, Colts, Browns. Uh, man. Colts maybe and Bills. The, yeah, maybe the Bills. And maybe Yeah, I mean, the Colts looked not great. I mean, they were decimated by injuries and COVID situation against the Titans. And it, it ended up being sort of a bad matchup. <laughs> the guys that they had out were the guys they needed to slow the Titans. Uh, so maybe those two teams could step in front of the Steelers and give us a change atop the AFC. Uh, after that, the Tennessee Titans currently sit in first in the AFC South. Uh, again, that was they, they beat up on the Colts and moved into that spot. Buffalo Bills are leading the East at eight and three. Um, you know, beat the Chargers, and I, you know, I don't know. The Dolphins and Patriots have both been too inconsistent. Probably not seeing them catch up. The Cleveland Browns, sitting at eight and three, are in the wild card number one spot. The Brown, did I read this correctly? That the Browns have only beaten one team with a winning record. Is that right? Uh, uh, even that's like surprising to me. I'm, I'm pretty sure they're the worst by DVOA. They're the worst eight and three team ever, which is wow. not surprising. Yeah. Really not a lot going on there. The Dolphins are in the sixth spot, the wild card number two, and the Colts currently sit in wild card number three. Although the Ravens, if they can beat um, the uh, beat the Steelers, which I, I don't know what that looks like. I don't know why. Like, if it happens, man, I can't wait for you to break down how it happened. Uh, but they would move to seven and four and be in that conversation too. Uh, what do you see? How, how about this grouping? Do you see any changes here? I mean, I know you're you still were a Ravens uh, believer, but man, this this level of disruption it's it's going to go beyond just this week. Yeah, and like the Steelers are complaining about what's happened this week, and I don't really get it. But I mean, this is like best case scenario for them. This is probably their best or their yeah their best chance of losing a game between now and the end of the regular season, and now it seems like it's an automatic win. Right. And like you said, it's only a trip to, to Buffalo between them and winning that first seed, which I think is big for them, but I don't know if it necessarily matters for the Chiefs. 
I don't think it really derails their chances at all. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how much this race matters. I mean, I think it does add some doubt into the Chiefs just marching towards the Super Bowl. If they get the first seed, I don't see any team beating them, but right. I, st- I don't see any team beating them as it is. So I don't know if it matters. And then, I mean, the wild card race, I don't think any of these teams outside of the Ravens, if they just, everything gets back in order and <laughs> they still have to figure out the issues they had before COVID, like with the offense. Right. <laughs> the, the one side of the ball. Yeah. Right. So I, I mean, I, I'm having a hard time you know, staying interested in this AFC. Like I just watch the chiefs play and I don't even think they're playing all that well. And they're still easily beating good teams. Like I know the bucks game ended up being close yesterday, but they were in control of that game throughout. I don't yeah, think I mean, I don't think their win probability dropped below 75%. Right. And I mean, they just toyed with the bucks early on. Tyreek Hill had 200 reception yards in the first quarter. He, he was on pace for 800 receiving yards. I mean, that's that's insane. And they did uh, the thing where they motioned uh, Patrick Mahomes and had him take a shotgun snap. And, I mean, it didn't result in a touchdown. But, like, you're doing that against one of the best teams in the, the NFL, supposedly. I, it's They're just toying with teams. That, I, I'm just waiting for them to flip the switch and just dominate in the playoffs. Right, right. Uh, all right, we're going to talk – we're going to go through – how many games do you do here? Nine? Is that right? I did nine, uh, but one of them was the Thanksgiving game, the Texans and Lions, right. which we don't need to, to talk about. Uh, so we got eight games. Steven, uh, you know, usually Monday morning he does his take dump. Uh, it's getting to that point of the season where it's harder to dig deep on things. We've we've been at this for three months now, basically, uh, and, and dug in on a lot of different issues. So this week we took a little bit of a different approach and just sort of did quick hit observations on the most interesting games of the weekend. Uh, and number one, you guys probably aren't going to see this coming, but the bills beating the chargers 27, 17, uh, I'll, I'll ask you about what you thought of the bills. Cause the bills are still a team that intrigues me. As far as like, I don't know that they're really in focus yet. Like, we don't really know exactly how good they're going to be. Uh, but your takeaway here, well, your observation is that, you know, the Chargers find themselves with Justin Herbert, I mean, potentially being uh, certainly a franchise QB type guy, a true, we're going to talk about this concept too, but Herbert looks like he has the makings of a real franchise QB, a guy who can really be a game changer and is worth the $35 million a year and building around and committing to. Uh, and now basically you're saying they need to take the proper action and get rid of Anthony Lynn, who has been just a terrible game day coach and is running an uninspiring offense. Yeah, and I've I think I've talked about this on the pod before. Like I'm willing to overlook bad game management if you're bringing something else to the table. And Anthony Lynn is very good at designing a run game, but we've established that running game, the running game doesn't really matter. We've established that establishing the run is stupid. Right, exactly. So if that's <laughs> the most you're bringing to the table, then I I mean I just think you have to move on and I was going to actually recap all of the mistakes he's made as the Chargers coach, but like it just got too <laughs> overwhelming. Like it would have been a three thousand word. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say we don't run stories that long, Stephen. Take and you can look. You can look these up, and he does it like every week. And this past week was really bad. There, at one point in the second half, there was like twenty seconds left, and it was fourth down. 
And for whatever reason, he called timeout so he could punt the ball back to the Bills. Like, just either let the clock run out or let it run down and, and take a Hail Mary shot. Like, yeah. I, I what, it, what happened on the play where Herbert, I mean, the, the, the Herbert dashed up to the line. They were near the goal line. Herbert dashed up, took the snap, I think, and then the offense, the, his lineman backed into him and he charged forward like he was going to run. A, I mean, it was like. I mean, I actually think that was more on like the offensive line and Herbert not communicating. I right. think Herbert thought he had a look and and tried to call a quick audible, and it just didn't get communicated. But like the play before that, they they com- uh, complete the hail mary. There's like 20 seconds left. They're down by 10. They have no timeouts left, and then they run the ball. Yeah, I don't. it doesn't make any sense. And this is like he has so Anthony Lynn has so many of these mistakes, and it's like different categories of mistakes. Like week two, I think it was week two. Whenever Herbert first started, it might have been week three against the Chiefs. Yeah, it was and, later. And it was fourth and one in overtime, like around midfield. And instead of going for it, they punted the ball back to Patrick Mahomes, who, you know, just marched down the field and won the game. It's And these mistakes just keep piling up, and he just doesn't learn from them. And at a certain point, you just have to give up on him learning from these mistakes. Now, you, you have said uh... – that you think Eric Bieniemy is the guy that the the Chargers need to target? Uh, it's sure sure shaping up like Bieniemy is going to be maybe the hottest name this year. A year after he definitely should have been hired, and a bunch of teams like pretended that they couldn't wait uh, for a guy who was coaching in the Super Bowl. Like that's that's never really been an issue before, but. All of a sudden, last year it was. Uh, but it seems like BNME is going to be the target for a lot of teams. Uh, you like this fit. Explain to me why you think he'd be good with Herbert. Because I think he knows how to take advantage of a quarterback like Herbert because he's doing it with Patrick Mahomes. And he knows he knows how to get the most out of those type of quarterbacks. Like He's going to be throwing the ball downfield. He's going to be taking shots. He's going to be throwing on early downs. And... I just think that style meshes well with what Herbert does. I don't think Herbert's Patrick Mahomes necessarily, but I do think he challenges defenses in the same way. And his arm strength, his arm talent is up there with Mahomes. So I think that's what makes them a perfect marriage. And I like who's the other quarterback that on a team that's going to need a head coach besides Deshaun Watson? There just really uh, isn't one. Like Matthew Matt Stafford. Ryan. Matthew Stafford. I sure, but I would rather coach like the 22 year old instead of the 30 year old <laughs> making $30 million a year. And Matt Ryan is a good quarterback, but he's, I don't think there's any way he's on that roster in two years. At least he shouldn't be. Right. And I want to see Deshaun Watson with Joe Brady, just because I think Deshaun Watson is the type of quarterback that could absolutely thrive in Joe Brady's offense. Deshaun Watson is like Joe Burrow. If he actually had talent, <laughs> <laughs> physical talent like he can actually scramble like joe burrow thinks he can scramble and he can actually throw downfield man but joe he's burrow, he's also somewhere with his leg in a cast and you're just oh, destroying it. i gave him a break oh bad choice of words i gave him a, <laughs> a respite last week i did not offer any bad takes on him last week but i i don't think joe or deshaun watson gets enough credit for how smart he is as a quarterback and I mean, it's obvious why he doesn't get that credit, but, and I'm going to write about this later in the week, but he's one of the smarter quarterbacks in the league and he's so good at getting, getting rid of the ball in time. He's become a lot better at it this year. 
And I do think some of the criticisms of him in the past weren't really fair. Like he did scramble a lot and that led to sacks. But when taking a sack is an alternative to throwing into coverage or when no one's open, then I think taking a sack is not that bad of a thing. So I yeah. I, I want to see him with Joe Brady. I want to see him with a uh, in a system where you put a, a mental burden on the quarterback. Nice. Yeah, I think that'd be amazing. Uh, tell me about the Bills. What did you see from the Bills? The defense, uh, you know, we're talking we're, we're talking about how good Herbert is. The defense dealt with it. Uh, Josh Allen was, I mean, he was Josh Allen, you know, like he was mm-hmm. uh, like just boom or bust a little bit and tough. I mean, he ran like wasn't really running the ball effectively. Wasn't really throwing the ball super effectively. Um, you know, 18 to 24, like he just got it done. I mean, is that enough in the playoffs? Is like, that's the formula we envisioned heading into the season, right? Is like, you just sort of have a flawed quarterback, but you have a pretty good defense. Then that good defense wasn't there. And Allen was a little bit better than we thought it was going to be. Now it feels like it's, it's sort of coalescing into what we, what we thought it would be. But is that going to, to, you know, be a formula that can win games in January. No, I don't think this team is much better than it was a year ago. And this is the same team that lost to a very flawed Texans team, mostly because Deshaun Watson was brilliant, but they still lost to Bill O'Brien team. And yeah, yesterday was pretty bad for Josh Allen. The stats aren't going to show it because he did get a lot of production off of screen passes and just constraint plays in general, which are like, like there were a lot of draws and screen passes and they did a double pass and, the Chargers had no answer for it, but when they, you know, did called regular plays, Allen did not look good at all. He threw a bad interception. I think he fumbled once, and he's really look. He looks like the guy that he looked like last year. I know we saw that improvement over the first month or so, and I do think his accuracy is somewhat improved, but he's largely the same quarterback. And I try to stress this all the time: like quarterbacks don't change that much. We always do this where we like they have one good performance and we're like, oh, this is a, he's turning over a new leaf. No, it, evolution doesn't happen that quickly. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, guys, they go on hot streaks, right? Like there, there is such a thing as as players. Like we saw, we've talked about like Joe Flacco, Nick Foles. Like those guys are they're not great quarterbacks, but they went on championship runs when it mattered, but like that was, there was so much right going on around them. Uh, and they are like, they're all professional, they're, they're professional football players. Like they're going to make throws when things are right. And uh, for those guys, it was the QBs who matter are the guys like Deshaun Watson, who I, I so much is going wrong around him this year. And, and he is finding a way to make it better. Mm-hmm. Um, but but it, yeah. yeah, they're going to go on hot streaks, but I don't think it's a sign of anything. It's like you rolling right. a, rolling a, a die like six times and you got three sixes in a row. You're not like, oh, I'm getting pretty good at this rolling dice thing. No, you just it just happened to have those outcomes align. And that's what happens with these quarterbacks. It happened with Blake Bortles a couple of years ago. He had like three good games in a row. And everyone was like, oh, Blake Bortles is turning it around. And then you watch the tape and it's the same process. The results just were good. Right. And I think it's the same with Josh Allen, to be honest. He has improved. I'm not going to take that away from him, but he hasn't improved enough. Right. 
Uh, let's get to – we're going to talk more about quarterbacks later, one of our favorite topics, evaluating and, and deciding what to do with quarterbacks. But uh, take number two goes against a lot of what I think you generally stand for. I was surprised by it when you, when you showed it to me. Uh, the Falcons destroyed the Raiders, which, as you noted on Twitter, is, is – this is just becoming sort of a thing. Like everyone's like, hey, Derek Carr is – like, look at Derek Carr, guys. Like, he's actually okay. I mean, I think you literally said last week, like – Derek Carr actually is getting better. Like I do think he actually has improved. And they lost forty-three to six I'm to the idiot. Falcons. I'm an idiot. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, and you were giving a lot of the credit to Raheem Morris, the interim head coach, uh, who is you know a defensive guy, and that defense has been really good uh, since Morris took over and, and had a little bit of time to to put his stamp on things. Uh, and you are calling for the Falcons to keep Raheem Morris, not blow it up now, but you have a little, it's, this is really more about the timing, the the sort of timing of the rebuild. No, I think they, I think they should blow it up, but they, but only blow up the roster. Like I don't see any point of bringing in a new coach for what's probably going to be a lost year that really has no bearing on what this team looks like in the future. It's not a dolphin situation where last year they were really starting to build up the roster it's this roster that we're going to see next year won't look like the roster we see the next, the year after that. So why not just give Raheem Morris a chance to prove himself as a coach? I think he's done a good job this after taking over for Dan Quinn. He did a good job when he took over uh, play calling responsibilities for the defense the year before. And I really think we overrate how much a coach's performance as a coordinator means for him as a head coach. That's, like, I don't think it matters. If you're right. a, a guy that can manage the locker room and get guys to buy in, that's good enough. And then it really comes down to who you hire as your assistants. So give Raheem Morris a chance to kind of, you know, start building a culture. I, I, I hate myself for even saying that. Next year, <laughs> see how he picks his coaching staff. And if it's promising, you can keep him. If it's not, then move on. Like, you're starting over anyway. Next year is probably Matt Ryan's last in Atlanta. If it isn't, it's probably due to emotional reasons rather than <laughs> pragmatic reasons. And I really I, – I don't know. I don't think you, you lose anything by waiting a year to start your coaching search. Yeah. So what – if if you're in like that weird – it feels like a limbo year, right? Like if you yeah. know you're going to need to do a larger rebuild, but you have a year till you can really do it due to the way the cap is – structured at the time what does success look like in that year are you just looking for more like you said like is is it just does he put together a good staff does he earn the trust of the locker room do they win a couple games they shouldn't i mean is that sort of what you're looking at it looks like what the dolphins looked like a year ago i think like when there are low expectations coming into the season and everyone thinks you're going to be bad can you get the players to continue to play hard throughout the season we saw Brian Flores do that, and I think that was more meaningful than anything he did defensively or schematically in that first year he was the head coach. He got guys to buy in, and if you prove you can do that, I think all of the other stuff that has to do with coaching like takes a back seat, and I really don't think it matters. Like I, I included that there's been a bit of a turnaround since Raheem Morris took over with the defense, their top five in EPA since then. But I really don't think that matters. That's not really the reason why I think they should retain him. 
it's just it seems like the Falcons are still playing hard, even though their season was done and they made that coaching change. And that's been the most impressive thing about it. The counter. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, let's play the hits. Let's uh, let's get in some Jared Goff, uh, <laughs> some Jared Goff <laughs> criticism. And yeah, we uh, this one this one goes back to a Super Bowl of long ago. Feels long ago. Um, so the 49ers beat the Rams 23-20. The, the Niners. I think we're going to look back at a team that probably I don't know what their final record is going to be, but probably a little bit better. They were just decimated by injury, uh, just missing key guys at key times when they've had guys they've been okay. I mean, you you love Kyle Shanahan and what he's done and how he's made it work. Uh, but just another team, sort of like the Patriots, where like they just had almost no margin for error, and then there were errors, and so here they are. Um, but they jump up and win this game, and Jared Goff was bad Jared Goff. Uh, and Sean McVay actually took the unusual step of saying as much after the game. That's that's not really McVay's style. That's not how he generally goes about things. And he's been pretty protective of golf, quite frankly. Uh, so to have him come out and say that golf needs to be better uh, feels like a major step. And I know it's one that you agree with. And, and honestly, it's long this, overdue. <laughs> uh, right. This is something you've been, I was supposed to say, you've been writing this for a long, I mean, since Jared Goff signed his $134 million contract, 110 of which I think is guaranteed and which they can't get out of till after the 2022 season without taking on basically a QB salary and dead cap. Um, you, you know, so they're just stuck with this. And you said that at the time, like, this is a bad deal, uh, which I mean, Jared Goff had just done good things for a season, right? <laughs> like, it's a lot uh, easier to say it now than it was. Right. Back then. Right. Um, but uh, uh, your lesson here is basically just that like teams need to acclimate to this idea that you, you know, you're going to spend top draft capital on a quarterback. That's the smart thing to do. And you have to, you still need to get lucky to really get a guy who is good enough to warrant the QB, the, the, you know, the, the cap number that it's going to take. And Jared Goff is not that guy. Right. And stop having so much faith in these guys that they're going to improve, like raise the bar. If you spend a first round pick or a first overall pick on a quarterback, we shouldn't be making excuses for him in year three or four about like, oh, just give him time. He'll figure it out. No, like there's no evidence that suggests that we need that much time to evaluate a quarterback. It's actually the opposite. Usually you could tell by year two. And if you're still making excuses for this guy after he signed the extension, like you made a mistake. I don't think Jerichoff might have, he might finally figure things out and evolve into a quarterback that's consistently a top 10 guy. But one, you're, you're, you know, banking on that happening. Two, you're paying him a crap load of money while he figures it out, which is just bad business. And then three, 
what does his ceiling even look like? Like, are you just hoping he becomes what Kirk Cousins has become in Minnesota, which is like <laughs> he may be a more consistent quarterback, but still tremendously flawed and a guy that you probably shouldn't be paying that much money. I just don't understand why these teams are so committed to these quarterbacks. And I mean, we could bring in Baker Mayfield into this conversation who, uh, you know, people are we're, make- we're going to, we're going to next actually. So right. I challenge if you have a game pass subscription, or just DM me on Twitter and I'll give you my password. <laughs> Go watch the Rams game and then watch the Jaguars game after and watch Mike Glennon and tell me that Mike that Jared Goff is substantially better than Mike Glennon. He's not. If you put Mike Glennon in that same offense, he's gonna look he's gonna have the same, you know, uh production as Jared Goff. I, I really believe that. He's gonna have those games where he throws 20 play action passes and the screen game is working and he throws for three hundred yards and three touchdowns. And then he's gonna have the games where that Jared Goff had yesterday. I like, I'm serious. Uh, I don't know what Jared Goff does significantly better than Mike Lennon at this point. I mean, that's a a shocking statement because Mike Lennon started for the first time in what, three years yesterday. And he was good. (laughs) Like I, I, I need to look up his BFF grade because just based on watching it, it was probably 75 plus. Like he made some legitimately great throws and I wonder what his career looks like if you put him in this offense that makes quarterback so much easier. The white privilege offense, as I like to call it, that <laughs> has propped up Jimmy G, gotten him paid, Kirk Cousins. The list goes on. Jared Goff. I can keep going. Right. But I really think that's the only difference between Goff and Mike Lennon is that yeah. one got to play for uh, Sean McVay. The other one got to play for Lovey Smith and John Fox. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a ton of truth to that. Uh, and we're kind of seeing that. You know, you mentioned Baker Mayfield. That's our next game. Browns uh, edged by the Jags 27-25. Uh, we mentioned it earlier. The Browns, I just do not feel like an 8-3 team at all. Uh, Baker Mayfield does not feel like the quarterback of an 8-3 team, you know, despite like, you know, and, and who could blame Browns fans for being optimistic and excited and getting fired up whenever Baker Mayfield makes a decent throw. But like we're literally watching your white privilege offense play out in real time, right? Like Baker Mayfield has a guy who's scheming up throws he can make. I mean, he doesn't have to do much. You watch him. He's not going, he's not zipping through progressions. He's not making complicated reads. Like it's all pretty much there for him. And a lot of the times, enough of the time he makes it happen. I mean, he's not even super precise, uh, but it's sort of working for him. And the danger, as you point out, is that the Browns are going to fall for this, man. Like the Browns organization Mm -hmm. is going to get wooed by what they're watching now. And Baker Mayfield's going to get money and a chance to stick around. And that's bad. Yeah. I, I saw tweets yesterday. were like, Oh, look at these throws Baker Mayfield made. And it's like, (laughs) they're all off play action from a clean pocket where he doesn't have to go through reads. Like we know he can do that. Any quarterback in the NFL should be able to do that. And one of the throws he got praised for was like a tight window throw where he just threw it outside the reach of a cornerback. And it's like, is that even a good throw? You're up by eight and you're near your own goal line. Why are you throwing into a tight window? If you miss that by a foot, it's an interception that changes the game. And that's like the big difference between what Baker Mayfield was in 2018 when he kind of was fool's gold is that he had this unsustainable performance on these tight window throws that was never, he was never going to be able to keep up. 
And then the next year, those throws started turning into interceptions, which is bound to happen. And now he's the player that we've seen over the last two years. And then they just these people just get fooled into the fool's fool's gold again. I don't I really don't get it. I'm really frustrated by by what I saw yesterday. Yeah, it's uh, it really is sort of a a glitch in the NFL machine at this point that uh, just, you know, pretending to have the guy at QB is is standing in for making the difficult decision of realizing that you don't, even though teams make that decision on every other position all the time. Right. They they draft guys, they draft defensive lineman number eight or whatever, and he doesn't work and they get rid of him after a few years like it happens all the time Leonard uh, Williams got traded last year like that's right. a perfect example he was at and he's like a decent player who does some good things why isn't the bar that high for quarterbacks the most important position on the on the field and I really think we need to start treating quarterbacks like we treat draft picks like the best way to approach it is just to get a bunch of them <laughs> and just keep taking shots and hope one of them hits and don't settle for for singles and doubles Try to hit a home run. All right. Uh, speaking of home run quarterbacks, our fifth, our next game to talk about is the Chiefs-Bucks game. As we we mentioned this already, the, the Chiefs had ended up looking close, but the Chiefs were never out of it. 27-24 was really the uh, the final, but I, I don't know. You know, the, the Chiefs were so good, um, especially early on. As we said, Tyreek Hill had 200 receiving yards in the first quarter um, on the day you include a next gen stat uh, here Mahomes to Hill uh, 10 uh, uh, more than 10 yards in the air he completed six of seven attempts for 217 yards three TDs and he was plus 43.6 completion percentage over expectation plus 43 <laughs> like that's i uh, my brain a number breaks my brain like so he should not you know by every by by you know a a system that calculates how hard these throws are Mahomes should not have been completing them and if you watch the game it looked easy like <laughs> right. it looked I mean it looked like Tyreek Hill was had no option but to catch the ball and it looked like Mahomes just knew exactly where to put it like these guys are so in sync right now and and your takeaway from this is that Hill is is so much better than any other wide receiver in the league. And obviously, I mean, he's getting tremendous service from the best quarterback in the league too. So it's hard to separate those two things. Uh, but I, I have, I mean, I, I asked you this earlier, why, why did Tampa Bay do this? Why did Tampa Bay expect to be able to slow Tyreek Hill without taking drastic measures to stop him. I mean, as you point out, they just sort of played one high safety and they didn't really do much to really try to bracket him or do anything. They just let him run and he absolutely destroyed them. I mean, I think that's just that coaching staff. It's just a stubborn coaching staff that doesn't adjust. And I guess it, it bleeds over to the defensive side of the ball too. I've had that criticism of Bruce Arians in the past, and I, yeah, I don't get it. Like, you can't throw out the game plan you had for, say, the Packers, who have one receiving threat, and but he doesn't play the same way Tyree Kill does. He doesn't threaten defenses the same way. Like, Devontae Adams is great, and but it's just a totally different style of receiver. 
Right. And like, if you see the page, the Patriots play a lot of one high against the Chiefs, but they make sure to double Tyreek Hill. Like they put right. Stephon Gilmore on on uh, Watkins so they can double Tyreek Hill. And I don't think there's another receiver in the league that really puts the pressure on defenses like that and affects the spacing of a defense. Julio Jones, when he's healthy, I think he's one of those players. But he, I don't, I don't even know if he's as different as Tyreek Hill is. This isn't a comparison I throw around lightly because he's probably my favorite football player ever, but he reminds me, he's the closest thing to Steve Smith as I've seen. Wow. Where he's, he's undersized, but he doesn't play undersized. And the fact that he's undersized probably makes him quicker and harder to tackle. And he's faster than everyone, but he's still a downfield threat that you could just throw 50, 50 balls up to. Like he showed that yesterday. He caught a ball over Carlton Davis. Who's a big cornerback. And I know we we always try to make the comparison between Mahomes and Steph Curry about like how they kind of changed the the spacing of the game. But I really think Tyreek Hill is a better comp for for Curry, where he just opens up everything for that for that offense for the rest of the receivers. And I think the combination of Hill and uh Kelsey, who's a tight end who moves like a receiver, is right. just impossible to defend. Right. Because you give that extra attention to Hill, but now who's covering who's covering Kelsey? You have to give extra attention to him too. And if you can't double two people on the same play, especially when you have Sammy Watkins as your third option and you have guys like Nicole Hardman who can take advantage of certain things and you have a, a decent run game and you have Patrick Mahomes who could just scramble, it's just so impossible to defend that offense because of those two unique talents. And there isn't a guy like Tyreek Hill at the receiver position. Yeah, I think one of the lazy football narratives that you hear a lot is like, oh, they need a receiver to take the top off a of defense because like a lot of guys don't actually like just because you're fast doesn't mean you actually take the top off a of defense. But like Tyreek Hill can because he's yeah. good enough that it actually like you actually watch it happening, you know, like if, especially if you watch the dots, uh, you know, the ESPN's dots like you see just the defense like just that open that middle opening and then you have a guy you have those other guys you mentioned Kelsey and, and Watkins that can exploit that space uh it just how do you stop it uh, the only answer is to have Jalen Ramsey who can actually play right. that who's an alien who can actually like Jalen Ramsey's speed just adjusts to whoever he's guarding like whatever speed he needs he's gonna have like go back and watch I think it was 2018 when the Chiefs and Jaguars played and that was one of the best performances by a cornerback I've ever seen. And one of like the most difficult tasks a cornerback has ever had to carry out. And that's the only option is just to have a freak alien at cornerback. Right. Not many of those one to be precise. It sounds like right now. Yeah. Uh, uh, Let's talk Texans lions. Obviously the game happened on Thanksgiving. The Texans won 41, 25. Deshaun Watson was amazing, but your observation here is that, uh, the presence of Deshaun Watson makes the Texans GM opening the most attractive. Uh, you know, the Jags are also going to have an opening. They're probably going to have the number two pick in the draft. It looks like maybe a shot at Justin Fields there. Uh, presumably uh, Joe Douglas will get to oversee the rebuild with the Jets. Um, you know, he was only hired, I think a year ago. Uh, so it, it should, that job should probably not open the, uh, the Lions job is open, uh, you know, and the Falcons I, job, right? The Falcons the job. Um, 
So I, I think your logic here is that Watson is is that home run QB that you want to find. So that's the number one job. The number two job is having a chance to find it where, you know, that would be the Jags. And then Stafford and Ryan, like both those guys are really good quarterbacks, really, really, really good quarterbacks, but they're on the back end of their careers making big money. And you probably need to maneuver your way out of those situations to really, truly rebuild. So uh, those are not quite as uh, attractive. Is the, uh, am I picking that up correctly? Sort of the way you're looking at it? Yeah, definitely. And I realize the Jaguars have the resources to get a quarterback this year, but there's no guarantee that he's going to be Deshaun Watson. I would trade the two first round picks that the Jaguars have. Like that's the difference between the Texans draft capital right now and the Jaguars draft capital. I would trade those two draft picks for Deshaun Watson in a heartbeat. So I don't really get, I don't really get how the Jaguars job is more attractive and like they, they do have more cap space, but they have more cap space because they have no one good on the roster. Basically, they haven't had to sign anyone. And the Texans cap space situation isn't really that bad. Like if you cut a couple of players, it's actually pretty good. And beyond next year, it's going to be really good. And their draft capital will be replenished in 2022. So I'm taking Deshaun Watson over everyone because he's one of the best quarterbacks in the league. I, I would make the argument that he's maybe the second best quarterback in the league right now. It's between him and Russell Wilson in terms of who you would want to build around. And Watson is like six years younger than him. Right. So I really don't see how anyone could turn down that deal. That would be at the top of my list if I was a head coach or a GM, just because Watson just expands your margin for error. Like we saw this in Houston. Bill O'Brien, by all accounts, was a bad head coach and (laughs) maybe the worst GM in the history of the league. (laughs) And they were a half away from making the AFC championship game because Deshaun Watson is so good. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I I mean, it's Joe Brady. uh, Joe Brady is going to get looks, right? I mean, what he's done in Carolina means that he will get the buzz. No, he's going to have a head coaching job. Like Cliff Kingsbury got a head coaching job. Right. I mean, I was going to say like Kingsbury broke down any vestige of like, Oh, we need someone proven. Uh, You know, it just, there's, there's no, no worry about that anymore. Um, so, yeah, let's root for that pairing. Let's, let's hope it happens. Speaking of Kingsbury, you are continuing to uh, point out his game management deficiencies. Uh, I'm going to bring up to the fact that earlier in the show, you said, I don't I don't harp on those too much if you're also bringing something innovative. If you're also, you know, if what you're doing elsewhere is making a difference. And I think we would agree that Kingsbury is, but at this point they're sort of tied in. We've been talking all season about Kingsbury not putting enough pressure on Murray. And that also seems to be at this point, the root of his, uh, of some of these baffling decisions is again, he's like not putting enough faith in Kyler Murray to make plays. Uh, So is that why it's become more concerning for you at this point? Yeah. Like it seems like he doesn't realize what he has. It's not, to the extreme where like the Seahawks weren't passing enough, but it's not too far off from that. And the big difference between him and Anthony Lynn, who I'm calling for to be fired basically is that Cliff is providing some schematic advantages to his team. But at a certain point, 
you have to think that he's holding the team back when he's costing them wins, and we could see it happening. Like he cost the Cardinals that win yesterday. There is no excuse for just running the clock out and believing in a kicker who has let you down in the past. Right. How I don't know how you put your faith in who is it, Zane Gonzalez? Zane Gonzalez, yeah. When you have Kyler Murray, who is just an amazing talent. Like you watch that game yesterday and there wasn't a lot of production. They didn't score a lot of points, but he made like three or four plays that I really don't think any other quarterback could make. And just put the ball in his hand, let Kyler cook. And I think this Cardinals offense would be much better right now. I really only think Cliff's contribution to this offense is in the run game. He has made this run game efficient in spite of everything that, you know, contributes to a run game. Like the offensive line is not very good and it gets dominated by strong defensive lines. It happened yesterday, it happened in the Dolphins game, but the space he creates makes up for it. But if you're not giving us that same benefit in the passing game, and I really don't think his passing game is all that impressive, then, I mean, you're getting close to Anthony Lynn territory. Right. He just had, I'm just going to give him more time to figure it out. Uh, Saints Broncos, absolutely nothing to learn from this game. Just a total COVID fiasco, of course. Uh, Saints win 31 3. You pointed out that uh, Denver's plan just made no sense. They knew they weren't going to have a quarterback going in. They, uh, they actually started the game mostly in Wildcat with Philip Lindsay, like doing sort of what we expected, you know, sort of what you other times the, the teams have not had QBs. This is what they've done, like sort of turn into. Navy football. Uh, but then they eventually did th- throw Kendall Hinton in the game and they had him throw far. I mean, he threw one pass behind the line of scrimmage. That was his completion. Uh, and then every other pass went at least five yards and most of them went beyond 20 yards. Ben Roethlisberger doesn't have that many deep throws this year. Like, I mean, it's like, what were they doing? Why, why was this the plan? And as you pointed out, I mean, you're, the pass charts are in here. Like Kendall Hinton's pass chart looks, and they're all throws to the sidelines too. His right. pass chart looks harder than Taysom Hill's and Taysom Hill gets paid $20 million a year, whatever it is to quote unquote, be a QB. Uh, I mean, this plan was just nonsensical. I, I mean, it's like I, I know that they had to adjust on the fly. I know it was a horrible circumstance, but like even I think your average Madden player would know just to like let a dude hit crossers and throw the ball to the flat a little bit and just do easy things to get him going. Yeah, there's screen passes in the playbook. You don't have to add those. <laughs> how do you do? How do you only throw one screen pass? I don't get it. And then his average air yards was like over 15. It was the highest of the week. It doesn't make any sense. Like, why is Taysom Hill throwing 15 screen passes, but Hinton isn't? I just don't get it. I, I, like, I know the Broncos coaches were in a tough spot, but how is your first thought not, let's just throw screen passes? <laughs> right. uh, it's confounding. Uh, finally, the Titans-Colts game. Uh, I think you – you're kind of throwing this one away, right? The, the Titans won 45-26. Uh, Derrick Henry was a monster. The offensive line was monstrous. But the Colts didn't have DeForest Buckner, uh, which, uh, you know, like he's sort of their everything in there. He, that's why they traded as much as they did to get him. Um, and the Colts beat the Titans 34-17 in, in just a, as convincing fashion just a couple weeks ago. So, in fact, two weeks ago. Uh, so you're sort of just looking at this as crossing each other out at this point. 
Right, and I mean, they, they were missing Buckner, they were missing Danico Autry, they were missing right. Bobby Okorecki, and those might be three of their best run defenders, which you don't want to be missing your best run defenders when you're playing the Titans, who whose offense is basically just, if they can run the ball, they're going to win. If they can't, then it's going to be harder for them to win. And uh, they had that was like the easiest they've time they've had running the ball this year. The offensive line was just blowing the Colts' defensive line off the ball every play right and derrick henry was great on his own like you add derrick henry who's impossible to tackle on top of an offensive line that's dominating and you get the results we saw yesterday and ryan Tannehill didn't have much to do like it was just play action passes flip it out to your playmakers and let aj brown do ridiculous things as aj brown does so yeah i'm not taking a lot away from it the one thing i took away from it was philip philip river's arm just like looked dead again and I think it was the Ravens game the last time I said this, and then he had some bounce-back games in between then. But I'm concerned. Like, every time I see his arm look like that, I'm concerned. because Not because I'm expecting it to be a consistent thing, but if that pops up at any moment over the next couple games or in the playoffs, their season is basically done. They don't really have much of a margin for error at this point. I think they right. have, they're like clinging to the last wildcard spot. Right, right. The Titans have a pretty easy stretch. I don't think the Colts schedule is too bad, but the Titans have uh, Browns, Jags, Lions. I mean, those are all presumably fairly straightforward wins. Uh, at Packers a couple days after Christmas and then close out with the Texans. So, uh, you know, they're a game ahead of the Colts right now. So it seems like they'll be okay uh, closing out the AFC South. Like you said, the Colts will have to hang on. For the wild card, um, yeah, they have Texans, Raiders, Texans, and Steelers is their tough game. That's also twelve twenty-seven, um, and then Jags. So maybe their schedule is even a little bit easier. But um, Titans have a pretty strong lead there. Um, I think that's it for this week. Let's talk about tonight's game. <laughs> uh, Seattle is in Philadelphia. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't even know what to make of this one, man. The the Eagles, <laughs> I guess Jalen Hurts is going to be more involved after after Doug Peterson wouldn't. He sort of like wouldn't answer right away that Carson Wentz still had the job. And then he did answer that Carson Wentz still had the job. And then news came out that Hertz was going to get more. Uh, this is just a, a, another case of somebody finally listening to your, to your advice. Uh, you called for Hertz to get more involved in the game plan last week. And now it looks like it's going to happen. Uh, but Lane Johnson is out for the Eagles. It looks like he'll be out for the season. Jason Peters is questionable. Uh, I don't know that it's going to go well, whoever plays quarterback. Deshaun Watson could be back there, and it would still be bad, man. I don't know about all that, but (laughs) (laughs) just play the guy already. Like, why are you, like, tiptoeing around it? Just play him. You're giving him first-team reps. Like, the writing is on the wall. I feel like the damage has already been done. Whatever damage you would do by making the quarterback switch, by giving the other guy first-team reps, isn't that basically the same thing? You're, You're questioning Carson Wentz just by doing that. They're not doing that in Kansas City. So, I mean, just make the switch already. Uh, the Seahawks are six and a half point favorite. What do you What do you think here? <laughs> I've picked the Eagles like too many times this year, so <laughs> I'm just gonna by default I'm picking the Seahawks. 
Are you going to watch this game, by the way? I think last week you swore, you told me you were not going to watch any more Eagles games this season. Uh, I'm probably going to watch it. I'm probably going to say I'm not going to watch it, but I'm going to watch it. I I did not watch the Packers-Bears game last night. I will say that. I have no I I know the the Packers embarrassed them, but I have no idea what happened in that game at all. I just didn't watch it. Yeah. I don't I don't think you missed much at all. The Chicago Tribune had a, a good headline this morning. I don't even remember it. Oh, Lambo Bleep instead of Lambo Leap. <laughs> so that's a pretty good headline for for an old newspaper. Uh, good job. Uh, and then Ravens uh, Steelers might happen. I don't know. I'm sure there's no line on that game. I don't have any sort of analysis for it. Uh, I mean, I think we're all going to sort of tune in out of sort of grotesque curiosity to see just how depleted the Ravens are and what it looks like, I guess. I don't Watching know. RG3 will be fun, though. I will say that. I'm yeah. kind of, I'm like low key looking forward to this game just because of that. Because I think RG3 is like, an untapped talent that teams should be exploring more. Like oh, it kind of sucks that he's stuck behind an MVP because I think there is talent there. Like even last year when he played against the Steelers, he made one throw that was just ridiculous. And I don't know why teams aren't just giving him a chance. Like why aren't the, why wouldn't the bears try to pick him up? This is, this is the redemption episode. I feel like Mike Glennon we've redeemed and now we're redeeming RG three. Yeah. I like it. It's a lot of positivity out of the counter. Usually, usually we're, it's just <laughs> we're negative. Yeah, usually it's just slander after slander. Uh, but this, I don't know, I feel some hope. Put RG3 in, in Sean McVay's offense and see what happens. Ooh. That's all I'm going to say. Like if, if, if all you need is a talented thrower and a guy that like isn't necessarily great at going through his reads and, and navigating a tight pocket, like put RG3 back there. At least he can run. Love it. Love it. All right, we'll be back later this week. Uh, to look ahead to week 13. Stick with us over at For the Win as well. Uh, FTW.USAToday.com. You can find me at Chris Corman on Twitter. Steven is at the Steven Ruiz. Don't don't accept any imposters. <laughs> regular at Steven Ruiz is out there. Those guys are fake. Uh, Steven, closing thoughts. You you were gonna you had some you had some slander that I wanted you to get to. Uh, you didn't you didn't deliver. You didn't find a way to fit it in the show, and now I'm I'm demanding it here. Okay, yeah. <laughs> we need to stop. <laughs> this is gonna sound pretty bad. Like B writers are have, they're too you know, willing to throw out their opinions on players. Like you guys don't know what you're watching. Stick to reporting or at least put some effort in to learn the game. If you're going to be throwing takes out there, like, and maybe this is just me being defensive Cam Newton, which I, I'm, I admit that I'm biased when it comes to Cam <laughs> Newton. I've, I've never shied away from that, but you would think based on tweets that he played the worst game ever. You watch that game. And like, I, I don't know what else you could expect from him. He was throwing into tight windows all game. He got to throw like 15 times and most of it was in third down. I don't, I really don't think he played that bad of a game. And yeah, it's like if you don't know what you're watching, like make, just stick to reporting. Yeah. I, I would defend beat writers by saying that they, I mean, as you point out, they, they have like a lot of other stuff to go on. Like they, they probably don't really look at the game the same way that you take the time to look at it. Cause they're supposed to like, do all this other they're supposed to be on 10 zoom calls a day and craft that into 800 word stories about what like it's a really weird absurd job but then they are also supposed to become 
quote unquote experts and probably not really taking the time to completely understand what they're looking at. And that certainly was the case. I was a beat writer covering college football uh, and Indiana luckily had like a really nice coach named Bill Lynch. uh, And he was just like, you guys should come. We went once. There was one day they were like, all right, we're going to have a special day where you can come into the building and watch us do meetings. <laughs> like, how much football do you think I actually learned in one day? It was a ton, but like not enough to actually then go the next Saturday and be like, well, I understand what I'm looking at because football is insanely complicated. Uh, so, yeah, there definitely is a disconnect there. And if you... <laughs> If this you want to see it, Stephen points it out on Twitter all the time. This so. is how you get uh, the stories about Drew Stidham. Or <laughs> Drew Stidham. I combined <laughs> Drew Locke and Jared Stidham. And Jared Stidham being a possible like future franchise quarterback. Like, no, if you watch Jared Stidham play at Auburn, or even watch him in the preseason, you could tell. Like, if you know what you're watching, you could see this guy is not good at playing quarterback. And should never play be a starter in the NFL. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, again, like the beat writers sit in Zoom call after Zoom call where a guy like Bill Belichick, who's smart, just lies to them. And you have to like – that's part of the job of being a beat writer is like you sit in these stupid press conferences, ask dumb questions that fans get mad at and that coaches just lie. You know, they just straight – lie and spin and you know you're trying to suss out what's real it's just a really really weird job yeah i'm uh, not like yeah it's a hard job and I'm, I'm not a reporter and i probably wouldn't be good at that side of the job so i'm it's not like i don't know i don't know just but but yeah it's, you gotta play your role do right. your job do your job, not a, somebody else's job, as Bill Belichick would say. All right. Thanks for joining us here on The Counter. We appreciate it. And we will talk to you next time. Take care. The Counter, an NFL podcast from USA Today Sports, featuring For the Wind, Stephen Ruiz and Chris Corman. gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left listen to where secrets go to die the disappearance of Derek Hennigan from the Detroit Free Press a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula 
Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.